winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 46th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Tervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Charlie Hogg of Tobermory. Charlie and I have been trying to get a time to catch up together since the start of the project, so I'm absolutely delighted to have finally got around to spending time with him and to have the opportunity to share this with you. Charlie's memories take in life in Tobermory, visits to Houn in the Treshnish Isles, and we talk about his working life, the characters of his youth, and about a boatyard in Tobermory on the lighthouse path that I'd love to find out more about. What I love about this conversation is the way that Charlie relays the smells and senses of the times he's talking about. We talk quite a lot about food, which he brings to life with great relish. I hope this little chat will give you an hour away from the world and just a wee break from all that's going on. I'll be back at the end of the episode with more havers. And now, it's with great pleasure that I hand you over to Charlie Hogg. Who are you? Well, I'm Charlie Hogg. I was born in the Royal Buildings in Tobermory in 1942, quite a long time ago. It was a great place to be brought up. Very, very lucky. There was eight families. Of, there was eight units in it anyway. Most of them were occupied by families. We were two stories up. Opposite us was the Sharp family. Above us was the Maclean's. He was a retired sea captain. He had a daughter with a, a couple of youngest kids there. Uh-huh. On the other side, I think at the time, it changed quite a lot, but it was the mate of the Loch Invar at the time, Kennedy. Below us, one side was a Miss McKinnon and her sister, and on the other side was the Kane family. Ah. And down below that, on the ground floor, now it changed an awful lot, and I think there was a woman there called Mary Sutherland and her mother. And on the other side, I think it was mainly offices. There was what I would call a warden. There was ducats. I think they maybe just had one room in these places, but uh-huh. there was offices and there was kind of wee doors here and there. It was all kind of stuff. What were the offices for? Well, the coal merchant had one and the games committee had one. All year round? Aye. Oh, why, the Games Committee was a big thing. The Tupamori Games was a huge thing. The biggest thing that happened in the Western Isles just just about happened in the Western Isles. I'll tell you about that later on. Special boats came and, oh, it was a big, big thing. The whole of Mull was on holiday for the Tupamori Games. And a bit past of Colin Terry and Loch Allen. Yeah. Aye, well, big, big thing. So the Sharp family, that's Polly. Yes, sir. So can you describe um, Polly to me? Who, what was Polly like? Polly was a lovely big tall woman. I don't know whether she was blonde at one time. But you think that these people were old, but actually when you think about she wasn't... Well, her daughters would have been... I think they might have been still in school, but if not, they were maybe in their 16 or something like that. Yeah. Polly was a, a big tall woman, and Jimmy was completely opposite. Her <laughs> man was completely opposite. Now... Polly, I think, was brought up in Gruelin. Right. She worked in Gruelin House. Uh-huh. And Jimmy Sharp came from somewhere in the mainland as a chauffeur. And that's how they met. Uh-huh. There was a story about him in one of the Sunday papers. And it was an American woman that wrote about him. And she said, 
he's a lovely wee man <laughs> with a twinkling eyes and a battered hat. He had a battered felt hat on all the time. That was Jimmy's uniform. But he was a very smart wee man, you know. And they were the first people to have taxis that I know of. Yeah. Going away back. By the end of the 40s, gosh. Right. Aye. Well, I, I was born 42. But when I was five or six year old, they had a car that went to Aris and picked up a couple of girls that lived in Aris. And they also went to Glengorham. It might have been after that they went to Glengorham. I'm not too sure. Right. But uh, so they were, they also started out on their taxi. And a big part of their business was taking travellers around the island. Travellers were people who were selling yeah. feed stuff and all that kind of stuff around about the island. That was a big part of their, their income. So how did the feed stuff get here beyond that then? Was that brought by the lorries later on or what was uh, you're, you're jumping away ahead. You're jumping away <laughs> ahead. Well, let's let's answer your questions. Yes. All the feed stuff came into Tivermori on cargo boats. Right. And I think maybe at the time there might have been one going into a Benesson. Right. But just that would be a wee bit a wee before that. Well the cargo boats came into Tivermori. Lochton Vegan was one of them and the Lochcaran was the other one. Uh-huh. And they brought all the stuff for most of the island to Tuberwari. It was all put into the stores there and then ah, lorries to get round the island. Right, okay. A very, very busy place, Tuberwari right. Pier. It was fantastic. And living in the royal buildings, if you forget about the cargo boats, the RMS, what they were called, Royal Mail Steamers, they were the ones that they plied every day from Tuberwari to Oban. It went at quarter to eight in the morning. It was the Lochairn and she called at Drimnin. A small small boat came out at Drimnin with a mail and any passengers. She went across to Salon. She got into Salon Pier. You would pick up passengers or cattle or sheep or whatever was going to Oban. You then go to Loch Allen over the other side, catch whatever was there. And then Kriganewer, there was, there was a big lump of a launch that came out at Kriganewer. And if it was busy, there would be another one and one would tow the other one. I don't think there was any engine in the second one. And say if there was a load of, if there was sheep, or if, if there was a load of hay coming in, I can see a yet, one was red, one was grey, the grey one would get loaded up with the hay and it would be towed in and the people, passengers, would be on the red one. I was on her so many times because my family was on her, my father and my grandfather at one time. Anyway, on a Wednesday, she went to Lisboa. Yes. She arrived in Oban, went to Lisboa and back. No, she went to Lisboa, got loaded up, went back to the s'more and then came back to work. So she was late and getting into Tuvernori that night. Instead of being in about four or quarter past four, it'd be maybe like half past six or nearly seven o'clock. Depends how busy it was, you know. Ian Morrison, when I was chatting to him, he said there was a, a very tall man in Drimnin. Would yes. Come, come, do Kenny. you know? Yeah. Kenny. Who was Kenny? Well, uh, all I can tell you, he was. He worked for uh, Miss Horshman, who owned the estate, and he was the ferryman. Right. But oh, he was capable with that wee boat, I tell you, it was fantastic. And she was a very fast wee uh, launch, and he never, he would never miss coming alongside because it could be wild and it could be storm. But Kenny had it cracked all right. He was, he was one of the clever ones. There was a, there's a story about uh, a ferryman that was in call and he wasn't very good, and uh, it was like that launch coming out. Or oh, the captain of the Lochairn got fed up with him because he was losing time. You know, he had to go all the way to Loch Boysdale Bar. And uh, the ferryman would miss it, and uh, he shouted, <laughs> he shouted to the man in the lodge, "You keep her steady, and we'll come alongside." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it, it's the other way about. Yeah, so that was 
That was the way it was, right. So growing up in Royal Buildings, what what are your early memories of the house itself? What was it like? The house was fantastic, so beautiful and, and cosy. Yeah. No electricity. It was a, it was a black range and uh, everything was cooked on a black range. There was a water boiler on one side of it and a oven on the other side of it. Now, i never seen the water boiler be used. I don't know why. There might really? have been a hole in it, but uh, plenty of scones made in the, in the oven, you know. But there was always a kettle of water, Aye. just about on the boil, so you can have a cup of tea or whatnot. But everything was, everything was cooked on that. Later on, I remember a prima stove Aye. being there. Aye, but not, not to begin with. I can't remember being crowded in any way, but yet... There was quite a lot of us there. I mean, my granduncle was... It was my grandmother's flat. Right. It was. She was there. My granduncle was there. Uh-huh. My mother, my brother, uh-huh. later on my sister. Now, my grandfather was at that time on my brain's boats, but right. he mostly stayed on the boat in Oban. He only came home now and again because she, the boat berthed in Oban. It wasn't the one that was berthed in Mull. It was what they call the Barrar, and that's the one I've just been talking about. Aye. She went out to uh, Colin Terry... Baraloch Boysdale, as you birthed in Oban. So he wasn't home that often, but still, he had to have a bed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my father, I can't remember him ever coming home to live in the Royal Buildings. He was in the Merchant Navy somewhere. Right. And I've never seen much of him, so I'm not too sure what was going on. But anyway, uh, the crazy thing about this, all this, we weren't actually, can't say we're part in McSardines or anything like that, because I can't remember it. But there was this front room, Great, big, beautiful front room that was not used for anything but... The Sunday room. In case the minister or somebody came. There was a suite, a three-piece suite in it. There was a piano in it, which must have taken some doing getting that thing up there. There was a lovely big sideboard. There was a lovely big... I would have said it was a mahogany dining table. I can see the place. I can see it as clear as can be. And that was never used, and yet we could have done with another bed or something to put that, you know. So that's the case for so but many families. I am pretty sure the shafts were the very same, because I was in that house that often. Right. And this room was kept in case there was some minister or somebody that was of some importance. Yeah. Came. We'll come on to your family again in a second, but right. what, what were the Sharp girls like? Oh, lovely. Uh, in fact, I think, not Muriel, but uh, Muriel died right enough. Isabel. Mm-hmm. I think she's alive well in her 90s. She's in Tibermore about two years ago. And I met her sitting outside the Royal Buildings in a car. There was 11 of them came with her for a oh, holiday. Wow. And some of them came from, if not Australia, New Zealand, you know. Yeah. But she was sitting alone in that car and I recognised her. So we had a, a good chow of the fat, you know. Aye. But they were, they, were, they were lovely girls as far as I remember, yes. Hung about the pier, that was what we did. Hung about the pier an awful lot because that was the hub of everything. Yeah. And there was the Magoha and, and yeah. nearly, nearly Rural, nearly McLean. Nearly McLean. Aye. And oh gosh, and we would tease them until they had to boot us in. <laughs> Magoha's language was famous, it was Fantastic. absolutely famous. Aye, he's a famous man, Magoha. So, what was Neil McLean like? What was. Uh, he was quite quiet, Neil. Uh, it was Ronnie's, Ronnie's in Tibermorians, Ronnie and Anne's father, aye. Ah, Ricky. Aye. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, my Gawkins people, uh, they had 
Well, just before my time, they had, they owned quite a bit of property over at the Lechuk part of the town. And one of the wee businesses they had was hiring rowing boats in the summertime when the tourists started. Fantastic. But he always had fantastic stories. And he had time for you. And you'd be sitting in the, in the, a seat out there before any of that carpet. There's none of that carpet. There. No, not Sitting so. on a... On a on a green wood and iron seat on they're smoking a pipe and watching for sea trout coming in the mm. river there. And you could sit beside him and just have the crack and great altogether, you know. What age I mean as I say, everybody seemed old because you were so young. Mm. But and then another thing I remember of the tolerance of people. When the fire brigade started, now I must have been about thirteen or fourteen, I would have thought. And where the RNL is now. Yeah. That was garages. I think they must have been built for the Western Isles Hotel. And the reason I'm saying that is the Western Isles Hotel belonged to David McBrain, who was the shipping company at that time before Karl Marx. So why would they build garages down there? But I don't think any cars are from the Western unless it was just a business, because they were all rented out these garages. Ah right, okay. And the first place when they started up the fire brigade they had one of these garages. I think they had maybe a local lorry, or even before that, before, when I remember, I don't think they even had anything to go anywhere with. No. They had no... <laughs> they had garages. They had no ladders or anything like that. Yeah. But what what they were doing, they were sitting in there on big bags of wool that was waiting to be shipped out, and they were learning knots and uh, splices. And there was two or three of us there, and I can still do all these knots. Fantastic. Yeah. Terrific, isn't it? It's the tradition and of... they didn't chase us. I used these notes all my life. Yeah. Terrific. It was to have that. It was great. Uh, it was good. There was there was tons of grub about. <laughs> oh, tons of grub about. We were very, very lucky. And that was... Well, the, the war wouldn't be quite have been finished, but... Rabbits. Tons of rabbits. Oh, terrific. And I, I love rabbits. Mm. And I think there's nothing will make gravy like rabbit. It's just... I loved it all my days. And you were just slavering, waiting for that to be ready. It was started in the morning. Mm. I think they started frying the onions first. Mm. <laughs> and then they browned off the rabbit. Wow. And then they put a drop of water in it. I don't think there was any stock cubes then. Like that. And it bubbled just a bubble all day. And you could smell it halfway down the stairs, boy. You couldn't wait to get home for that. Well, my, my uh, granny and that, she had cousins all over. Dervig and Cohen and... How and precious, so we got plenty of eggs, and I think some of the rabbits was coming from there. But we had plenty of rabbits to buy, you know, in the, in the shops or guys that just rabbits were trapped by sixty pair a night in Dervig. You know, Peter got at one time a phenomenal amount of stuff. Aye, That's the right incredible. now, the right night with the moon and then hail showers. That's what you wanted. The rabbits would run when the hail came down and right. into. The, <laughs> <laughs> so last week would have been perfect. And they, all they had was a bicycle, and the, they were all piled on the bicycle. There's a way of splicing the back legs, uh-huh. legs together, uh-huh. all over the handlebars, all over the crossbars. Through the tendon or something? On your or... back. Uh, you put one leg through the other tendon. Ah, uh, yeah. You split the tendon, put uh-huh. the one back leg through it, so you had it. It was tough. And it, uh, gosh. So we had tons, tons of rabbits. And the other thing that will surprise you, the amount of fish we had, not locally caught, but came from Iceland and that was it came from Iceland (laughs) because all the trawlers that came from Milford Haven and Fleetwood they came up that way heading for Iceland 
So there was a bit of a barter system going on with some guy. There was a, there was an That's agent. Brilliant. It was a trawler agent in Tuvalu. Right. So that was one of the last stopping places before they just went into the Atlantic. So they would come in there if they had if they had forgotten some supplies, they would come in and get the supplies on the way back. That was when that was when the goodies came ashore. There was some barter system going on with, with some of the local guys. Will, will and- Goods or something? Or no, 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 no. I think it was liquid. More oh, like, I more see. Like yeah, yeah. Hound's finest export. Oh, woolen goods. No, they had plenty of woolen I'm goods. I'm thinking of the Klondikers. That's how they swap things. Aye, and anyway, I think there'll be maybe twice a week we'll get fish landed there. And it was just the best of stuff. You couldn't ask for better. You know, fish baskets, baskets I don't know if you know what they're like. Aye. A great big willow fish basket. Yeah, I've actually got one now, and I don't know if anybody else will have one around oh. here. Maybe they have, but it'll not be as old as the one I've got. Anyway, two or three old fellas, Jackie Teague, old McAllister, Johnny Noble, some of these guys would be selling them fish at the clock. If they knew that you hadn't come by gum, they would be over with a string of flat fish for you, or a haddock, or a cod, oh, or something. And we lived just on the best of fish. Absolutely the best of fish. It was, it was great altogether. And also, my granny had some relations in Terree. And, we all, and with my grandfather being on the boat, that was going to call another Terree every second day, we got plenty of eggs. And it's eggs that you couldn't touch nowadays, if you, you know what I mean? It was wild bird eggs, wild duck eggs, all that. Really? Stuff. Aye, oh aye. What was... Because Terree was famous for all that. What was the most tasty of all of those ones? Of the eggs? Yeah. Pff, I would imagine duck, eh? I like duck egg. Eh? I can't eat. There's not much to be. See, when you're young, you scoff down everything. You're starved. <laughs> I was, I'm still starved these days. <laughs> you scoffed. I were very, very lucky for, for anything like that. Tons of potatoes in the farm. See, pe- potatoes and cabbages and turnips were growing around here. A thing of the past, you know, but yes. we're, we're well off for food, I must say. And milk was delivered every day. First of all, it was from Airy Farm. Mm-hmm. Maybe before that, Skibrua. The man at Skibrua Farm, he had one arm. Came down in a pony in a trap, but there was a man with him, yeah. Harry McLean. I think he was the guy that drove the. Right. And that, that's the, when it went to the end of the town, to the new the pier at the, at the north of the town, and came back. It stopped at the mistress. The horse wouldn't go past the mistress. <laughs> that's the story, you know, because they stopped there every day for a right. couple of pints, and which had nothing wrong with that. And anyway, but if they took too much, the horse would get home. Or they just, that was it. I were, were well off and I loved it. I mean, I had a great upbringing. Can't complain about it. Who were your folks going by? Because you talked about your grandparents. Where? Oh, so where were all the grandparents from? Well, my, my I don't know much about my, my grandfather's side. He was a Ralph from Inverness, which is an Inverness name, you know. Oh, but, then, I, yes, uh, but then uh, on my grandmother's side, she was from, she was a McLean and MacDougall side going back to Hound around right. that. She was from there. She had loads of loads of cousins, or very far out cousins still around here, like we Alistair and Aye. Needle and Derwig and Willie Macaroon and all we kind of related to us. Aye. Gosh. Uh, so did you go out to see them at Hound fairly regularly? Oh yes, I had a fantastic time at Hound because we we went there for our holidays. Did you? It was absolutely phenomenal. So describe it for what was it oh, like? Oh, it was. Uh, it was so free and easy, and we, I think about this quite often, we out the house at nine o'clock in the morning, might not come back till nine at night. Yeah. Nobody bothered with us. Yeah. And we'd been either in Threshnes or Enzi or away with Tommy Clark and the tractor. I've seen me going to Tommy, with Tommy Clark and the tractor down to, 
to burg to cut hay. He would cut the hay for the donut burg and then all that stuff. And the, the most fantastic thing was to get to the Trishnish Islands. I was on every one of these islands by the time I was maybe 13 or 14. Really? Because they were keeping sheep out there. Yes, of course. And yeah. the highlight of the year, well, for us, myself and my brother, was to get, and there was, that's again the tolerance, to get with these guys, took us out there, and we were, no, they would have to keep their eye on us. Of course. With cliffs and... and, and <laughs> like nobody's you know, And it yeah. wasn't easy keeping their eye on us, because we wanted to be involved with them. Yeah. But what an experience, oh. to go out there in an open lodge, yeah. and Danny Robertson... Now, Danny Robertson's people yeah. lived out there in the summertime. Yes, yeah. Before he got that job in Thrashness. And they lived off, uh, well, lobsters, right. bird's eggs, and uh, eider down. Eider down was a big ironer for them. Right, okay. See, the eider duck, as you know, yeah, plucks yeah. its breast down uh-huh. off, lines the nest with it. Well, that was done all over the country. They would salvage it. They would get second-hand eider down, essentially, rather than killing the birds. And oh, they wouldn't kill the birds. Right. Birds weren't killed for either, do. As far as I know, I hope they weren't. Ah. I don't know. No, no, that's how they got it. Could that, um, Frank Fraser Darling's got that book, Island Years, We talks a little bit about being out there at that, just around that time. Mm. But that's amazing. So which of the islands, was it uh, Lunga with all the birds that was the real attraction? Or was it the Carnabergs or what was the... The Carnabergs, I don't think I'd... I'd Carnabergs, they had loads of puffins and worry. Every island was, and round about the cliffs, it was just a cacophony of bird sound you know the whole thing was alive the yeah. sea the air everything it was great altogether right but uh, catching the sheep was another story they were so wild see they hadn't seen anybody for a year Aye. and maybe not for two years it depends on how, what the weather was like so they were like goats yeah and once they went in, and dogs they didn't actually they would jump over a dog see jo- <laughs> the dog didn't bother and what they learned was to have a big long roll of hessian Aye. that you could roll out maybe 50 yards and men men went round with that and that's the only thing that would keep them in. Dogs had no... But you might go out there and not catch a sheep because once they got spooked, yeah. they'd go into the cliffs and they were just like deer, they were just like goats, goats in the cliffs. Yeah. You know, you couldn't get them out, you just get went away home then. So that was another day. And the the first thing that was done, you went along, some of them went along the shore, gathered all this wood, make a big fire, get the kettle off. The housekeeper in the in Trishnish house would have made a big heap of sandwiches. Boil and, and boiled eggs and this, that. And, well, I didn't, I wasn't having beer, but there was cases of beer, you know. And, uh, oh, it was a party time, you know. What were the houses in, in Hound like? What was, were they full of light? Were they quite dark? Were they smoking? Well, they, they were in a very bad way. The, roof, the roofs had gone. Right. They weren't kept. The thatch had just gone off them. And uh, there was uh, felt underneath. Whether that was put on afterwards or or before the last thatch, I don't know, but they were all gone, and we we got the use of that house for about three years, and we put felt on the roof to make it watertight, you know. But there was no electricity. No. No, but it was fine. No bother. Again, there was a black range, and plenty of rabbits, which was <laughs> it was fine. A nice oil lamps. It was it was absolutely great, and mm. the access to the shore. I mean, we would be gathering wilks all the time, and and eating wilts, loved all that stuff, you know, up the hills, down, away down the shores, out yeah. making silage, yeah, or getting in the road, and yeah. and then the people in Enzi, they were so nice, you know. Yeah. Uh, Which family was that at that time? Aye, Willie's family. Was it the Fails? Aye, aye, aye. Ah. Sonny, aye. Willie was born, right enough, but Christine wasn't born. Aye. Ah. Mm-hmm. 
Miss Christine, she was absolutely fantastic. Aye. So would you have known McQuiston then as oh, well? Oh yes. Uh, uh, McQu- uh, Ian Morrison talked about McQuiston in there. And can you describe McQuiston to us? What was he like? He walked from Ainsley to Howe every night of his life that he was over there. Every night. He never, to Cayley, yeah. he never missed a night. But it would be quite often, I'll tell you another thing, he would quite often be carrying messages over for Katie, a, a can of paraffin or messages that the quote van left or something like that, you know. And these these people had all the news. How the hang they got it, I don't know. But just that people walking around all the time. Yeah. Talking about the vans in Houn, uh, we were well supplied. There was butcher van came round, the co-op van came round, there was two vans from Derby came round, MacDonald, Alan MacDonald and uh, Johnny McIntyre from Derby. Ian McKinnon from Tivermore the butcher's van came round. And some of them vans never came till eleven o'clock at night. They just have to wait for them because it was a busy, <laughs> it was a busy, t- a busy time. Ah, a busy time of year. You had to be just. Ah, we'll be at. When will you be next week? Oh, nine o'clock or ten o'clock or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then they would say to the man, "You'd be needing paraffin for the lamps, Sam. We need Sam Johnson. Was one of the you need for that the." Fill that can with paraffin for us for next. I know whether that all the can would be filled with paraffin. You pick it up the next time the van came round. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was, oh, it was all right. We had a, an hour, a, a mile walk for the messages, knowing that the vans couldn't go across the houses. Road wasn't it? Of course, wouldn't take the like that. So, but it was no bother at all. It was it was great. I walk over there at night and, and the cuddleoos would be singing. Oh, it's a cuddleoos that like that. No, uh, snipe, 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 snipe. Oh, the drumming. The, uh, the drumming, aye. You would hear a lot of that. Yeah, aye. I love it. Aye. There was well, a certain park there that would always raise them aye. and they would hear that hear that drumming. It's the oyster catchers that go, piggy, piggy. Aye, aye. Yeah. Oh, the sniper. I mean, that's a real uh, sound of summer. Aye. Yeah. Aye. Brilliant. Yeah. So how close did... Houn and the rest of the island seemed when you lived in Tobermory. Did it seem like it was just, you know, it was was it an adventure to go elsewhere or was it... Well, Houn and Threshers was always familiar to me uh-huh. and, and Calgary. Uh-huh. We started going to Calgary very early with the Sunday school, picnics uh-huh. and that kind of stuff. Really? And then, of course, uh, cousins of my granny in Threshers and Houn, before we ever went to, to have our holidays there, we were going visiting. Yeah. You know, quite often, aye. And same with, with Cohen, there was cousins of my granny's there too. So we're visiting this part of the island a lot. So I knew it knew it very well. And then I came to live in Derby, of course, and aye. So for a well, spell. So you would have gone to school uh, up the road in Tobermory, I presume? Ah, yes, aye. And then... Uh, that's how I'm so fit. Exa- well, indeed, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, the older... Like, when you see older people on Tobermory, they, like, they're just it's incredible. Aye, it it's, doesn't it's bother me the least no, even today, no? No, no, no. So I was, it was, uh, I, I, I can't say I got on well in school. I, absolutely, I don't think I was in detested as much as a blinking waste of time. I thought <laughs> I didn't like it at all. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get out of it. Mm-hmm. No, and there were certain teachers that said when you get on a bit, if you weren't up with the ones that were the fastest, they just, you were just left behind. So then you just gave up on that. I was out in Aris Woods most of the time. <laughs> I didn't bother with it. I said, the last year I hardly went to school at all. Right. Nobody cared. Didn't seem to care then. And so you didn't go over to Oban or anything like that at all? Oh, I. Because my, my father was chief steward in the Rochard Bar. 
after after while and then in Loughairn. Right. Both in Loughairn and Loughairn. So I got tons of tons of trips to Oban. If my mother was wanting to get rid of me for a day, I have to go to Oban. So I knew it very well. I knew all the crew, of course. Most of them was from Tubermory. But they stayed in Tubermory. They were in Tubermory every night anyway, you know. So they were all more, more or less local guys. So what was the Loch Bar like? What was oh, your dad's gosh. role therein as well? Well, is it like? It's not like it is nowadays, that's for sure. Well, his, his, where he had his bunk was also the bar and the office. For goodness sake. Right, and it wasn't as big as this. It wasn't as big as this here. So that was what it was like. And we were talking, funny enough, we were talking about this the other day when two or three of us had a get together about the, about the Loch and Bar and the, and the galley that was in it where the cook worked. And it was, again, I think it would be about, it was lucky it was, lucky if the galley was eight feet by eight feet. And there was room for the cook between the, between the range. <laughs> Aye, yeah. it was it was incredible. And the number of covers it would have done in the day would have been the hundreds. I'm well, sure. this is the thing: people were coming from maybe around Derby and maybe further afield at quarter to eight in the morning, and there wasn't a breakfast. Of course. So he had to feed all that people, and but he had to feed all the crew, Aye. you know, and that was all done, and that and that was all carried down the stairs on trays down to the pantry, and then the pant the people down. So I tell you, it was a tough job. Now, then he would have to start preparing for the lunch. Wednesday was always a very busy day because it was market day. All right, okay. And you had this more as well. So, and just the sweat would be lashing off (laughs) because you were in this confined space with this huge range that was just about red hot, Mm. you know. And I can see one memory is the fried eggs. They were just, there'd be uh, a dozen eggs in this big frying pan. And the fat was always absolutely clear as could be. Wow. And the eggs were dropped in about a dozen at a time and and they didn't move. They didn't flow all over the place. They just stayed about maybe three inches round, right? Wow. And he just flicked a bit of... It was so so hot. He flicked a bit of fat over the top and a wee bubble came on the top and then that was it ready and it was out. That's that's some heat. And uh, Yes. And the tray of bacon was in an oven and it was so hot that it just crushed the bacon up so way down with them to the pantry and that was it. And there might have been anything on the deck or she might have been rocking all over the place and you'd go down a very, very steep, dangerous stair. And uh, Oh, it was great, the Lochairn. Uh, the Lochairn Bar, that was. Uh, the Lochairn Bar was before the Lochairn. And she could take, if the tide was right, she would take two cars and they went on on planks. Ah. But the tide had to be dead right. It had the same level as the day. So the cars drove on, and if you, well, they had to drive off when they yeah, got exactly. it. There were some great characters, of course, on, on these boats. Any um, that stick out at all? Oh, I don't know. Curly Cameron, he was a stevedore. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do anything else. He wouldn't. And uh, then there was a pilot, believe it or not. And that I had a pilot, and he had to take the boat into the pier. Nobody, no, no, no the rest of the crew had. He would go up half an hour or ten minutes, quarter of an hour before the whatever she came into any pier, and, and he had to. He had to take her in. Aye. I didn't know that at aye. all. 
And then there was a crane type thing on the looking bar to a, a metal, it's like a big hook. Mm -hmm. Dougie MacDonald, he was the guy that operated that. Now Dougie was in his 90s there and he just died a few months ago, I think it was. He was living outside over there, Larry. He married, he, I don't know, we're trying to figure out where, where he came from. And it might have been Iona, I'm not too oh, sure. Okay. But he married a, a girl called Anne Christie from Tibbermurray. Oh. And uh, of course, when I went to Auburn, he was always hanging out at the pier in Auburn once he retired. And I, one day, I actually met, I missed the ferry bloody talking to him. Because we blethered and blethered and blethered. Where's everybody running to? I don't know. And it's a good job. There's another ferry. So every time I've seen him, I see the that right. Look at <laughs> You're on a stopwatch now. Curly Cameron. No, I don't know. And then there was another man. Uh, what was his name? He was from uh, down the south end there. He was a good friend of my father's. A crofter down the south end. Uh, uh, who else was on her now? Cullen Black, he was a captain. He was from Salon, mm -hmm. and then he came to live in Tibbermore. And Kennedy was the mate. He was a Chinese. He was a, a Chinese. Tiny, tiny man. Not Chinese. Yeah, a Chinese. A Chinese. Now they were they were above us in the royal buildings. The, right. the Kennedys. Aye. Duncan Achard was a cook, and before that there was a man called MacIver was a cook. Was that Sammy? No, that we were talking. Were we talking about Sammy? We were ago. Just a moment. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, Sammy's that'll be Sammy's. Oh gosh, what was he? Might have been a kind of an uncle to Sammy. Right. Aye, yes. Ah, uh, oh, gosh. Ah, it was good. Yeah. You finished school. What did you do once you finished school? Oh gosh, a thousand and one things. Aye. What well, was your What was your favourite? Well, thing? I'll tell you my least my least favourite uh -huh. thing. It went very very badly. I was quite keen to be a joiner. Right. And I got an apprenticeship right away, which wasn't hard in Mull because you could, people were taking on apprentices, you yeah. know, and it didn't go well at all. And I packed it up after nine months, I think it was. Right. So I did a, I did a terrible amount of different jobs and I loved every one of them. I loved working outside. It was great. And what I really loved was meeting people from the mainland who had been around a bit and yeah. listening to their, their language and their, their way of different ways of life yeah. and the crack they had. Was, yeah. And one fantastic job that that uh, sticks out, in fact, it was kind of two jobs. I must have been about 16 or 17 at the time. And there was two fairly big jobs started in Mull. One was uh, the new sewage system in Dervig. I don't think it was a sewage system at all before that. Pretty sure there wasn't. And the other one was the new water supply in Salon. That was up above uh, Alton Sherramond. Mm -hmm. You know, with an arm there, away up in that lane. Okay. Yeah. Now, what, there's a lot of things stick out to me, but they were so interesting jobs. This this firm was PLJ Heron. They were based in Fort William, but they were actually Irish firm. And there was a lot of Irishmen came in with them. And there was also Skianachs, because they had been up there working, and uh, some boys from Sutherland. So you had a great mix of Folk from away, yeah, aye. And I think, I can't, I was in both of these jobs and I don't know why, I can't remember, but I think the first one I went to was to Salon. Now that was the harshest winter I can remember. And there was six weeks of frost and we had to be paid off because we couldn't dig the ground. Aye. And there was there was a kind of an excavator there, but it was nothing, it wasn't hydraulic, it was a, 
wire-operated thing, and if it, if it managed to get underneath a bit of, of of frost, the frost was so deep that it would lift up a bit the size of a, a kitchen table, you know. Yeah. So and, it, and and this machine wouldn't go uphill. The tracks were absolutely flat as pancakes. You know what I mean? There no was traction no, no, no traction whatsoever. <laughs> so if it tried to, it was, the way it pushed, it didn't dig towards itself. It dug away from itself. It's called a face shovel, right? Okay. Uh, that was the way it was. It was right, okay. It's the only way you could operate it without hydraulics. And it just pushed itself out. <laughs> it pushed itself out of the road and it came to harbour. It shoved itself away. But... So actually all that was dug by hand, away up into that glade there. Gosh. Uh, and even the dam, it was uh, blasted and it was all the stones were thrown out and shoveled out by hand. It wasn't a huge thing. But that was, uh, that was by coming about, that was some frost. So, Chairman, the, the the Glen there, that's that's as you head out on the road towards Tomori on the left-hand side, is that right? Or is it... No, towards Kilacarone. Okay, so going over to Kilacarone, okay, right. I hope uh, that Glen road, right. Ah, okay. You know where the first bridge you come to? Yeah, yeah. Very, very tight turn. Ah, okay. Up in there, aye. Right. Up in Sherman's. Another place Columba was. That man was busy, wasn't aye, he? Aye, because... Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even do well in Salon, though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> everywhere you go, there's a St. Columba list or a St. Columba that, or a well or a yeah. rock or a... Aye. That's a burden for he preached out on Sherman, exactly. isn't it? Aye. So you've got, so you're working on the on on the roads. You're working that. What what else? What where else did work take you? And when did you settle in Derby as well? Where else? There's so many things I did, and uh, great things. I was working Kilcarron in Sawmill. Worked with a great old guy there really? called Alan Cameron. He was he was. It was the days and when they were sending large to the other islands because lakes of. Colony in these places where there was a, a boat they wanted to repair a boat or, or make or maybe make a boat or did they, it might have went further out, it might have went to the, would it have gone to the US? I don't right, know. Okay. But and the other thing that went they were cutting for uh, fencing stops for Colony and all over the place. And it was European large, the best that you kinda of get it now. No, you kinda of get it here, isn't it? And uh, that was lovely red ash. And that man, Alan he had a special saw for what you call boat skins, in other words, planks for a boat, you know. And he would sharpen that, he would set it, he would sharpen First of all, what he did, he had a, a stone, a mm. sandstone. And he got the saw going and he touched the sandstone to the to the tip of the teeth, took them, took them down a wee bit so they're all exactly the same length. Right. And then he sharpened it and then he set it by hand. You set the teeth one right, one left, one right, one left, oh, all yeah. by eye, and he would take he would take planks off that you think they came out of a of a planer, yeah. and they were sent all over for 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 uh, boat skins. What they call boat skins? Gosh, aye, it was it was a it was a, a busy Kilcarron. It was a busy busy place. Well, there was a building company based there. Oh wasn't yes, there, aye. Right? it was a huge organisation. About fifty employed at, at one time between the building and the, all the farms there. I don't think farm managers and sheep foremen and cattle foremen and tractor foremen, all this kind of stuff. Well, I could tell you about the jobs. One thing that comes to mind, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't happen today, we travelled from Tvermory to either to Derby or Salon on the back of a lorry with an aluminium box on it. And that time I was talking about that uh, there was the frost. There was a big hollow in the bed of the lorry box, you know, and there was six inches of ice in that. And our feet were in that, our feet were in that till we got to either there, whatever job we were in. And there was no tea hut. No? There was, 
In Derwig, we had the use of a buyer that was behind it. You know the Smidius in Derwig? Yeah. It belonged to Callum and Betty, or at least they... I think it belonged to the manse, actually, but they had the use of it for a buyer and these builders, and we had that for a tea hut, and Betty made a kettle of tea for us. It was my job to, to go for the tea and right. make sure that Betty had a... as the tea boy, and by God, if you forgot that, you had had it. But we had... But there, I can't remember any tea hut in, in Salon. We just made this fire every morning and sat out and and had your tea. Regardless of the weather. Regardless. Now, that wasn't so... I can't remember an awful lot of rain at Salon, but the sewer at Derrick came through the glebe, and it's just a bog, and it was terrible. It was showers of hail and sleet and rain, and it was absolutely awful. And it didn't bother me too much, but there was guys down there trying to fit together fire clay pipes in the trench with muck up to... filling up? Just about up to their shoulders and muck, Mm. and... uh, Trying to, and you've got to be cleaned with fire clay pipe. Ah, so it makes the seal. So it makes the seal, but you've got to have a, I could tell you how it's done. Uh-huh. You have a bucket of grout uh-huh. and a bucket of what you would call hessian, caulking hessian. Th- same things used to caulk a boat, uh-huh. but you don't put grout in a boat. So you had this thing that was long enough to go round the inside, or the, well, the inside of the collar uh-huh. and the, and the the outside of the, the narrow end of the pipe, and you had to try and get this round and get these two pipes together without getting mucked and stuff on it, and without it, it rocking back and forth. Because yeah. it, once it, once, if it didn't seal right, it would leak, you know. It was a terrible job. I mean, I felt really sorry for the, Well, I don't know if I did or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of it now, I felt sorry for it. There's one guy that stands out there, John Boyle. Now, he came around Mull... For years and years and years, John, he was well known in the West Coast. He's just one of these terrific, hard you know, workers. Uh, good at his job, you know, hard working, hard drinking. But uh, John was well known around here. You had these characters coming around, you know. And they would maybe not go to work for a fortnight, but then they wouldn't drink for six weeks. That's just the way they were. There's nothing they could do about it. That was their life. They didn't keep money. Money just was no, of no use to them. There was different ones here at different times. They used to come in, of course, to cut bracken, do ditch and do fencing, all that kind of stuff. Alba, there was a man who went to Alba there every year. McMonagall was his name. Yeah. I think he lived in the Oban area, but then he had a son that I met one time down about Doon, oh, funny yeah. enough. Went into a pub in Doon and started. And uh, this was at McMonagall's son, Willie McMonagall, that was the man. He went to Ulva, did a lot of work in Ulva. He got paid to cut bracken, I suppose. Or I don't know there if he did at that time. That, yeah, but, you know. uh, that's what I was talking about, the Drystein Dyke and say, <laughs> a while ago. All the different styles in Mull. And that's people coming in from different parts of Britain. Yeah. And then they would start their own style when they came in in the spring. And it's very interesting that, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're interested in it and, yeah. and have a look around Mull. It's uh, and some of that you can see the hand of a diker here and then uh, there further on and, and yeah different styles. Dervig, what brought you to Dervig from? Oh, just to get a house. Right. Okay. Aye, I had to get a house. Aye. What was, was it difficult getting housing in Tobermory at the time? Aye, yes. Aye. I was very lucky and very, very, very lucky in Dervig. Uh, I got into a rented cottage for a wee while and then I got a council house and it was only three year old. Oh, fantastic. It was great altogether. And it was a great part of... A, a great part of Dale, just out, just on the very edge of the village. So I had my own kind of driveway, 
then I put a garage on, then I put a shed on, mm-hmm. and, then, and then I put a wee conservatory on. Fantastic. It was absolutely great. I, but then my, my wife wasn't too happy with this. She's, she was very, very, thought schooling was a be-all and end-all of everything, and she did not like Dairdick School. It was as simple as that. And she said, Ralph, it was to start school. She's not, he's not going to that school. Yeah. So we just decided to shift in, into Dumanwari, which I was quite sorry about, really. Uh, because I mean, it was great. I had a great place there in Derrick. Really, really smashing. And everything was going well. I had my own business then, and things were were, were grand, you know. And uh, I mean, that's something I really loved my work. It was in every inch of mull. You know, talking to old guys and living with them, and just being out and about the way down the south. I was staying. I was staying down when I would, when I would go down. You know. What type of work was this at this period? I bought an excavator, a small excavator. Well, I bought it a few different ones through the years, but I'd seen an opportunity. And then I was the first one to bring these, see these minis that you see everywhere now. We're getting them on Christmas trees nowadays. Uh, I was the first one to bring them in, and they were great because you could go on any ground with them. Yeah. Whereas these big heavy JCBs, if you, it was it was a time when the building was booming, you know, yeah. or just about it. And uh, every, the weather was terrible, it's like in a bog and peat and muck and oh dear, oh dear, it was terrible altogether. <laughs> it was absolutely it was terrible. Mm. You were praying that it wouldn't rain. And, uh, anyway, when these wee minis came in, oh, I did well, I did uh, tons of work, absolutely tons of work. Forestry Commission, Council, Hydro, Telephones, I got all that work and I kept my ear to the ground yeah. and I knew what was coming yeah. and I would knew who the contractors would be, and I would be in touch with them right away. Got the work every time, just about every time. I was lucky. We were talking about this a long time ago, but the, the nature of that kind of work is that there's a great sense of tidiness with it as well, isn't there? Making things tidy. Yes. How um, did you learn those skills? <laughs> How did you learn to make it so proper? I, I, I wasn't tidy. Well, yeah. Who told you that? <laughs> ah, we're talking about that. You're saying about someone else's digging. You're like, oh, I've left a terrible mess there. Oh, I. Well, I always tried to leave as good a job as I could, of course. But uh, some of them, I mean, guys are buy, buying diggers now and starting, starting contracting. If they can dig a hole, they think that's it. You know, you don't need. The thing is, to, if you're going through a bog or something like that, to be able to come out, see your way in and see your way out again. You can see your way in, but sometimes you can't. Well, that's what you have to. Where I learned that was in the army. Right. We ah, in the, oh, when ah. were you in the army? What was that? Well, I went in to join the engineer, especially to learn about heavy plant. I was very keen on it. Right? And that was you couldn't get a trade like that anywhere in Sydney Street. No. It was it was fantastic. Uh, it was was it six months we had? I think it was six months we, we were on a, on a big airfield or an abandoned airfield, learning all the different machinery, how oh, to maintain yeah. them, in the classroom half the board and half the day, uh-huh. and then out practical. It was absolutely terrific altogether. Where was that? That was down in Cambridgeshire. Right. Oh, then went out to uh, where did I go out? Germany after that. Right, okay. Right, which was crap. Oh no! Which oh, Germany terrible! You oh, I don't know where it was. <laughs> <laughs> the hills, mm. no Osnabrück and oh, what's the other place? Minden. So these big thingy towns. Right. Military. Oh, it was terrible altogether. No, I didn't like that at all. But we did. We were lucky in, in well, what they call we we held all the the Royal Engineers held all the plant for BAOR. British Army of the Rhine. So we were we were pretty favoured, I suppose, because uh, we didn't have to wear smart uniform boiler suit and 
you know, we did heart all, hat, it, was, it was great. Oh, there was no hard hats. <laughs> no, it was it was quite good that way. We didn't get so many parades and all this stuff. We were allowed to be a wee bit scruffy, but as long as we kept kind of the road. But uh, we were be, the, the engineers, as you know, they were mainly build bridges and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So the machinery, build bulldozers especially, they were used a lot in the in the in the bridge building, uh, pulling them across and preparing the ground and all this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't all hell in Germany. We got f out to what they called um, military aid to the community. See if you had the likes of a, a youth hostel association wanted a road to be put up to away into the hills or something. Yeah. We were and a bike and that was great. There was no 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 parade grounds. That, that was great. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was that was very good, very good. Uh, the Harz, the Harz, H E R Z, is it Harz Mountains? Harz Mountains? Okay. Maybe I've been up there one time. I think, is that down in the border? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, there was some, uh, I must say, there were some good times. Yeah, <laughs> you so if it's not a personal question if you don't mind me asking um, how did you get the finance together to buy your first piece of plant then because they would be super expensive in those days what I did first of all I hired a machine right and uh, that did that went very very well right. I, I don't think I borrowed money I hired one I did well on that and I seen where things were heading yeah and I bought a good second-hand machine that came from way up north there. I drove it all the way to Loch Allen, uh, a day and a, a day and a half or so. <laughs> uh, it was a massive Ferguson. It was Why? a cracker of a machine. Right. Uh, so I, got, I mean, I couldn't go wrong. The work, the tons of work, tons of work. Still uh, is. Uh, 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 then I, I bought, as I say, I bought these wee minis. These, I had different ones of them at different times, but it was good. Uh, oh, I, like, I liked it. You mentioned um, your family there. What of a family do you have? Well, a son and a daughter. Fantastic. And who are they and where are they these days? Well, Jennifer is in Stirling and she's got a partner. Mm -hmm. And an eight-year-old, Ailey, eight-year-old. Jennifer works in, in uh, Edinburgh. Right. In the uh, City Archives or something. Oh, wow. I didn't realise that. That's great. I'd say they're doing very well. He works in the Caber the Caber Moore factory, Jennifer's partner. Mm -hmm. That goes makes a uh, you know these uh, like what you call wood pressed boards for floors and and uh, sarking and all that kind of stuff. It goes twenty four hours a day, three hundred sixty five days a year. Really good good job, uh, Ralph. He's uh, he's in the Irish Sea at the moment. He's working on a ship that's renovating wind turbines. That's a boom uh, industry. Ah, uh, good job. He's yeah. a crane driver there, so he's doing very well. Right? So he's four on and four off just now. So he's quite happy with that. And he has a wee girl of uh, 11, just turned 11. Uh, so the uh, family's doing well. Uh, it's good to, uh, One of the things that people uh, will know you from, particularly if it's someone who's not from the island who's listened to these podcasts but has been to the summer shows and things on the island, is your stick craft. How did you come into working with, with horn and sticks like that? What, when did this come well, about? Well, it's something I was always interested in whittling, you know. It was one of the things 
But you did. Every boy carried a knife. Yeah. And I still do to I this day. Got my grandfather's knife Aye. somewhere just over there. Yeah. Yes. And I was always down. See, down the Lighthouse Road. That's you know where the Lighthouse Path is down past the Murray. Yeah. There was great, and there still is great hazel down there. We're always down there, eh, cutting bows and arrows and swords and all this kind of stuff, and making whistles and and messing about with with knives. But anyway, I always had a great notion to make a walking stick. Don't know what it was. I think it was maybe been over at Hound and been a, been around. And I, I don't know why I didn't become a crofter because I was spent enough time messing about with crofts. Mm. And uh, I always had this notion. And I tried making, I think it was a wooden one. You know, I was messing about, okay. And then, with luck, this family came from Campbelltown. Oh, no, they were the Campbells. They came from that area, actually. Oh, so, they came not, from that area. Aye, was it not Ardrishig, you said? Ardrishig, was it? Ardrishig, it was, yeah. Well, it's about there anyway. And this was the top-notch guys in the country. I mean, the whole of Britain. They had one, everything that could possibly be one. And so... A carload of us got together. They started, a, uh, they started a, a classes down at Arna Drochet, which was a fair old drive. Right. But there were three or four of us pretty keen to go, so uh, we got together and we went down there. And by gum, I loved it every every minute of it. I'm still doing it today. Uh, in fact, there's one in the east now. Uh, there's one on the go nearly. I mean, I've 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 cut back an awful lot because I've started another stuff but uh, there's usually a stick and the go somewhere whether it's horn or, or wood or whatever it is and uh, I mean it's it's just been great altogether you know but t to have these guys came, come there it was so lucky well I don't know if anybody would uh, we might have bothered to we might have managed to to get through it some way but and did Neil was Neil was uh, one now uh, yes and Ted Peter his uncle oh gosh uh, he used to go and Huey Bo. Ah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's different ones from the Knock Boys, Lachie and uh, Donald. They went. There was another fellow that lived down that way. Campbell. Uh, Campbell, he lived down that way. And uh, the guy that. Chris, that owned Torres Estate. He, he, he was went. So it's a good old. It was a good old club. And uh, it was run by the Department of education or whatever it was but then they got fed up with all the what do you think all the red tape so they just decided to scrub that or do it ourselves so with that carried on for years and years and years and years and it was it was great altogether right? and I still I still sell the odd stick <laughs> do you remember uh, family members having a cromac as well and when you were younger was no it? not my family members no no, no. They wouldn't have crow much for anything. They didn't need them in the looking bar or the looking. <laughs> no, for how oh, you come here. <laughs> we no, I don't remember that at all. But I just always had a notion. And once I got started, I would carry a, a bit of horn with me or, or whatever I was. Carry it to work with me. I'd be working away at, the, at lunchtime or whatever. Got two or three minutes because I was I was really keen on it and I had a nice shed and I had everything, you know, that I could do it. And then Neil and I used to go off on a Sunday and cut the boat off in for the for the shanks, you know, that was but it's difficult to get them now because people are not coppicing. Mm. Uh, see, when they were cutting the, when they were cutting the hazel for the boak and for the creels, people were were looking after the woods and they were 
if it was see one going a bit awry, they would straighten it, and then they would get that one the next year, and then that one's not ready, that one will be ready by next year. But they were coming from all over. They were coming from Colanteri at one time to cut boach and mm-hmm. at Drumgia, I believe, because Drumgia was quite famous for the, for the boach and for the kudels, isn't it? If they were fishing lobsters out in, in Tyree, they had nothing to make the kudels off. So they of came, came across here. And and do you know that they came across to, do you know where Ardness is? Way down the house in. I've seen a sign, but I can't remember where it is. It's, uh, you know where the boatyard is, the old boatyard? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just, just in that area. Oh, okay. If you walk down to the shore there, you'll see little piers going out. Uh-huh. And that's a when I was working on a job down there, I went, did I stay the weekend for some reason? I walked down to the shore and uh, Angie McNeil was the man who owned her mess in his wife, sir. And uh, I was asking him what these wee piers were for. He says, that's where they were coming from college, I to cut peats away up the back there. And sure enough, you can see where all these peats were cut up the back of her mess. That's amazing. Aye. And, and he told me that they stopped, there was a young fellow got drowned and they stopped that, they never came back. That's the story Angus had, anyway, so that I'm just telling you. Anyway, Gosh. I can't, where, where are we now? We're not around houses. Well, I think that's, <laughs> well, I think that's, that's an absolute load. Thank you very much. Ah. That's a huge amount of information. Ah, Thank you. Ah. Is there anything you want to, to uh, identify or think to say before we, we before we draw a line under it? I would like to tell you about uh, the early days going down the lighthouse path, Aye. which was a place I go down once a week yet. I mean, I love that place. We're always down there playing and gathering hazelnuts, a thing that's not done anymore. Boys out of school, either conkers or hazelnuts or some of these are cutting, cutting hazels or playing around in these woods or whatever. Anyway, uh, where, where was I going with this? <laughs> the lighthouse path. Yeah. That's one of the, my earlier, earliest memories of going out with my grandfather and my granduncle was on a walk down there. That's where you went for a walk. Right. And on a Sunday, there was a lot of old botocks would gather, and some of them had the bowler hats on, and they'd go way down there, gently walking away down there. But the, the fantastic thing, I've used this word quite a lot, haven't I? was uh, the boat shade. There was a boat builder down there, an old fellow called Macquarie. Right. And uh, later on, I used to go down there a lot with my, my granduncle when used to go and cut. I must have been getting a bit more handy then. Used to go down a bit of firewood, you know, see a bit of rotten uh, uh, hazel or that went down. And it was just a a, a bow saw we had. He would always call down to the, the Keeley where the, the old were down there. And the smell was just fantastic. Pine, linseed oil and chrysot. And I can smell it today. That's it was great. Quite heady smell, yeah. And see, the tools that was hanging about the place was just out of this world, you know. You had screwdrivers from two inches to 14, 15 foot. <laughs> maybe 18 inches long. You had Goodness dozens me. of planes, adzes, chisels of every shape and size, and mallets, and it was just and benches all round about. There was a steamer, I think, for steamer steam in the wood. Yeah. It was a, a terrific place altogether. And I mean, that smell is just. Uh, I use linseed oil quite a lot. The, Different yeah. things, not just for the sticks nowadays, but mostly other things I do. It's just one of these these smells. And the other thing I'll tell you about which is very, very interesting, it was what they call a saw pit. I don't know if it was before you could plant wood, 
But if, have you ever seen these saws that are six and seven feet long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they, they were used for cutting planks out of the round. And yet, the man, one man was down a pit. The log was up above you on a couple of trestles or not tre- yeah. support beams. Yeah. The log was up above you. You had a man up the top on one end of the saw, but you need to have a man down a pit to pull the saw down. Oh. Yeah. And imagine being, having the you know, the, the craft to cut that, to Straight. cut a plank for a ship out of that. That's the way it was done. And I've got a collection of these saws. I think I've got I've got at least five of them. Aye. And they were wobb- they're as wobbly as can be. It's so not as if they're nice and steady. How do you cut that straight line? Oh, well, uh, I don't know. Just your eye and practice and really skillful guys, you know. How, well, how would they do that? Well, your guess is as good as mine. But it was... I would. I was. I was thinking about it today, actually, when I was coming over, and I was wondering if they floated the log. See, this this thing was on the shore. Yeah. From the shore to up to the level of the hut, the boat shed. Yeah. Was about six or eight feet above the shore at low tide, but it'd be near at high tide. It'd be near up to the shed, but so so this thing was down below the boat shed level, so it, it filled with water yeah. at a certain time. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to use it all the time. Yeah. And I was wondering if they, if they floated it in, but it wouldn't have come quite the time. wouldn't enough. have come quite as high as that. But they must have been able to handle, oh, these guys. I mean, they were far cleverer than we ever be. Oh. And was that, is that where Davy Flockhart lived? No, the side of that just, I Okay, right. That was the bathing boxes. That's another thing. That, yes, they right. were they were built for changing for the woman to change in for the. There was a wee bit of a concrete wall went round and sand in it, where you could go you could go doggy paddle, and it, we didn't bother much with it to be honest with you. Uh, we were up the river. That's where we learned to swim. Anyway, uh, where Davies, is, that was I think there were six or eight what they call the bathing boxes, and you went to the town clerk's office and you got a key. Well, if you're a woman, you did. A key, and you got you could get changed in there. But there was there was two other sheds just open front, a big shed, I mean, twelve by twelve or something, just open for the for the men to change in and a seat to put your clothes on or whatnot. But I I never I never actually seen them be used very much. But we did go down as when we, I think maybe my mother took us down for kids. That was the kind of thing. But uh, and then there was a diving board further over past where Davy has got his oyster. Uh, there's a deep bit, there's a spit goes out and it goes straight down, so it's a deep, you can dive off it. Right. And there's a diving, uh, a, a steel structure there with a diving board on it. Gosh. And uh, i never seen it used. I remember when the board was just about on it, but then there's nothing left there <laughs> now at all. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a great place, that boat shed, I must say. It was old Macquarie, Mac- was the name of the, the guy. He was his brother. He lived with his brother and sister up where the Frenchman's workshop is now, in Victoria Street, ah. uh, up there, which is below that. Ah. The building below that, they had crofts up there too, and a cow kept a cow and a calf in there. Right? Gosh, in the back of the school. Aye, more or less, eh? ah. the old school. Eh? Gosh. So that was it. Too. Well, thank you so much. That's yeah. amazing. There's. A lot in that, thank you. Uh, I know. Talk, talk a hell of a speed. I get carried away. It's <laughs> amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. That's brilliant.
Thank you so much, Charlie. I know a lot of people are going to really, really appreciate your stories. I know I certainly do, so thank you. Sorry that this episode has taken a wee while to be with you. I was focusing on the What We Do in the Winter live event, which we had on the 7th of March at Dervic Village Hall, and then things changed quite massively for all of us, and I've been trying to get my head around it, and I've struggled, as so many of us have. Anyway, I'm chuffed to bits that the latest episode is finally with you. Thank you very much to all of you who came along to the live event. It was such a lovely evening. We put out 45 chairs before the start of the evening and then had to add another 15-odd chairs as folks started to arrive. So with roughly 60 or so folk there on such an absolutely grotty night, I couldn't have been happier, so thank you very much. It was a very special evening and I look forward to sharing the elements from it with uh, with you, the listener, in the in the forthcoming episode of the podcast. Thank you so much to Erin Turnbull, Len Addy, Nick Turnbull and Dervic Hall for their support. Thank you so much to Colin Morrison for pressing buttons and a hearty thank you to Gus Stewart for helping to record the event. Gus, you were like a ninja with your microphone boom. I can't thank you enough. And thank you also especially to Georgia and Cole for all their help and support. We're approaching 50 episodes of the podcast, which is something I'm, I'm really pleased about. So many people have given me their time to chat, I can't thank them enough, it's really special. There's no master plan with this podcast, I'm kind of navigating on instinct. Recently I was reading through Nan Shepard's wonderful book, The Living Mountain, and at the start of it, in the prologue, I found a quote from Robert McFarlane, the great nature writer, and I think it kind of puts some of what I've been trying to do in context. He identifies the Irish poet Patrick Kavanagh, who he says saw the parish not as a perimeter, but an aperture, a space through which the world could be seen. He goes on to quote Kavanagh in saying, All great civilizations are based on parochialism. To know fully even one field or one land is a lifetime's experience. In the world of poetic experience, it is that depth that counts, not width. A gap in a hedge, a smooth rock surfacing a narrow lane, a view of a woody meadow, the stream at the junction of four small fields. These are as much as a man can fully experience. I thought that was rather brilliant. So if you can get a chance to find a copy of Nan Shepherd's Living Mountain, I can't recommend it strongly enough. It's absolutely hypnotic, really beautiful. It's a sort of love story to the landscape of the Grampians. It's, ah man, it's really wonderful. Now, as these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, and as I've lost pretty much all my work this year due to the current crisis, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So, if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee through the website. You'll see a Donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. And if you wanted to contribute to that, you're very welcome. Thank you so much to those of you that have contributed. I really appreciate it. But genuinely, do not worry at all if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather than you listen than you didn't, so don't worry. If you wanted to sponsor any episodes as a business, please feel free to drop me a line. And then also to help me grow the podcast, if you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. And thank you always to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always great to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, our webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I'm not going to update that tonight. (laughs) I'm going to get this episode out first and I'll do that tomorrow. So, if it's alright to say one last thing. Despite their many strengths, these islands are fragile. 
They're reinforced with the incredible strength of their communities, which are totally priceless and makes living here so interesting. But they're still fragile. Mull has a population of about 3,000 folk. We only have three hospital beds, which is not many at all. We're so lucky to have the amazing NHS staff that we do here that so many of us count as family and friends. We need to look after them so that they can do the job that they have to do to the best of their abilities. So thank you so much if you were coming to Mull, Iona and Alva over the coming months, but have cancelled your trip. The islands will still be here in times to come, and I know so many of us are really looking forward to seeing you again soon. Your coming to the islands allows so many of us to make a living and keep our island communities alive. I hope this podcast gives you a wee hour away from everything. For those listening at bedtime, sleep well. And those listening in the bath, hi, you've missed a bit again. Kayu, wherever you may be, I hope that you and those you love are well. May your knuckles be chapped and dry from all that washing. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shinakade. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Um, Bugger off. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs>